to close now. That'd be really great. Today I'm preaching from just three verses. That's all they've given me. Mind you, most preachers can preach for an hour on just one, so... I thought at first it was going to be a three-point sermon. That was easy, but it it turns out that the verses are really interlinked and um, it's a bit like uh, love and marriage. You can't have one without the other, although that's in doubt these days. Uh, So the verses are from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, and this is from the New Living Translation. They say, Always be joyful, never stop praying, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And together, they form part of God's will for each of us, part of how we live lives that please God. And you can't pick and choose. The the Greek indicates that they're, they're not three choices. They are three things together that are God's will for us who belong to Christ Jesus. But I am actually going to look at them a bit separately, even though they're interlinked. And I'm going to start with always being joyful. In our house, we often talk about glass half full people and glass half empty people. And I don't know what you think about this glass of water. What do you see? Do you see it being half full or half empty? One glass, but two different views. And the question is, when should we be joyful? And Paul says, always. When he writes to the Philippians, he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And Jesus adds weight to this idea. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. We've been singing this morning uh, about an eternal perspective on things that makes a difference. And we understand really being joyful when something happy is going on. A wedding, uh, a, a baby being born, a birthday, a new home. But Jesus and Paul are asking us to be joyful even when things go wrong. And Paul, by the time he was writing this, had been through a lot of hardships. I've been reading 2 Corinthians, and I'm just going to show you some of the things he wrote to the Corinthians that he had endured. He says, We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We've been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. It's quite a long list. There is more to come in a minute. But Paul says, Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. So in spite of that, he always has joy. And then later on in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, he says, Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've travelled on many long journeys and faced danger from rivers and robbers. 
I've worked hard and long. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I don't know whether any of you relate to that today or whether most of you have got clothing. Um, Most of you probably haven't had 39 lashes. Some of the people that Claire has met maybe have faced some of those things. But Paul had. And in spite of that, although he had good reasons to complain, he knew joy, not just in the good times, but in the bad. And there's something about our attitude to what life throws at us that makes a difference. I want you to meet someone called Chris Downey. He's an architect, and in 2008, he just started a promising uh, job at a successful design firm. A few weeks after he took the job, he noticed there was something wrong with his vision, and the doctors told him he had a tumour wrapped around his optic nerve, which needed surgery. After the surgery, he could see uh, in a blurred way for five days, but then everything went dark, and he had become permanently blind. He tried to maintain his architectural work, but he couldn't read the plans or use the design software. And initially, those limitations jeopardized his job, but he found a blind computer scientist who devised a way to read tactile architectural plans. And much to his surprise, Downey discovered that his blindness actually gave him a unique way to observe interior spaces, not with his eyes, but with his fingers. He would walk his fingers through the plans. Um, And as one of the company vice presidents would later say, at first I thought, okay, this is going to be a limitation. But then I realized that the way he reads the drawings is the way we experience space. And Downey, due to his blindness, can also envision new possibilities for the creative use of space. And as a result, his limitations or weaknesses have become gifts and strengths, not only for himself, but also for his community. If you're interested in that, you can um, read. There's quite a lot about it on the web if you want to read more about that. But being joyful is a choice. And it's tempting to think that it's easy to choose being joyful if you're wealthy or rich or talented or beautiful. I'm going to show an excerpt from Notting Hill in just a moment. And... Uh, The guests are vying to tell the sobbiest sob story in order to win a brownie. One of the guests is a famous film star, Anna Scott. And in case you don't know uh, the film, she's played by Julia Roberts. And even she has a sad tale to tell. I'm going to give the last brownie as a prize to the saddest act here. (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Well, obviously it's me, isn't it? I mean, I work in a city in a job I don't understand. Everyone keeps getting promoted above me. I haven't had a girlfriend since, well, since puberty. And nobody fancies me. And if these cheeks get any chubbier, they never will. Nonsense. <clears throat> I fancy you. Me? Yeah. Or well, I did before you got so far. Oh, yeah. You see? <laughs> and unless I'm much mistaken... Your job still pays you rather a lot of money, whilst Honey here earns 20 pence a week flogging her guts out in London's worst record store. Yes! And I haven't got hair. Mm. I've got feathers. And I've got funny goggly eyes. And I'm attracted to cruel men. And actually, no one will marry me because um, 
My buzzies have actually started shrinking. You see, it's incredibly sad. Yeah, but on the other hand, her best friend is Anna Scott. Oh, well, that's true. I can't deny it. I mean, she needs me. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> and most of her limbs work, whereas I'm stuck in this thing day and night in a house full of ramps. And to add insult to serious injury, I've totally given up smoking. My favourite thing. And, um, well, the truth is, we can't have a baby. Bell. So, Levy. So, um, we're lucky in lots of ways. But surely that's worth a brownie. <laughs> well, I don't know. Look at William. <laughs> Very unsuccessful professionally. That's true. Divorced. Used to be handsome, now kind of squidgy around the edges. <laughs> <laughs> and absolutely certain never to hear from Anna again once she's heard that his nickname uh, at school was Floppy. You, you did, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Right. Well, at least I get the last brownie, right? Well, I, think, uh, I think you get it. Well, wait, what about me? I'm sorry. You think you deserve the brandy? <laughs> well, a shot at it, at least, huh? All right, well, you'll have to prove it. I mean, this is a very, very good brownie, and I, uh, I'm going to fight for it. I've been on a diet every day since I was 19, which basically means I've been hungry for a decade. Uh, <laughs> I've had a series of not-nice boyfriends, one of whom hit me. Uh, and every time I get my heart broken, the newspapers splash it about as though it's entertainment. <laughs> and it's taken two rather painful um, operations to get me looking like this. Really? Mm. Really. Mm. <laughs> and one day, not long from now, my looks will go. They will discover I can't act. And I will become some sad middle-aged woman who looks a bit like someone who was famous for a while. I don't know whether you noticed, but when they were telling their sad stories, they became the center of attention. Everyone's focus was on them. And everyone felt sorry for them. And sometimes, you know, we're tempted to tell our sad stories because that happens to us. When we tell people things that are going wrong in our lives, the troubles that we have, people empathise with us. They feel sorry for us. They look at us. They don't push us to do things that we don't really want to do. There is a time to accept help from others and to ask for help. But God asks us to be thankful and to be joyful and not to be moaners or whingers. We're not asked to be joyful just when things are going well. And it is a matter of our will. We are told to be joyful. Be joyful. It's a choice. It's not an emotion we have no control over. I want to tell you a story. It's a story that happened to me when I was a pastor at Aldershot Baptist Church. 
And before the church service started, uh, I was getting things ready and I left my bag somewhere. And um, about 20 minutes before the service started, I realised I couldn't find my bag. And someone said, well, there was someone in here and they've gone now. And we realised that my bag had been stolen. I had a choice then. Was I going to be joyful? Was I going to be thankful or was I going to panic? Roger was there, which was really good, and uh, we phoned the police, and uh, because in my bag were the car keys, and it's one of these keys where you go beep, and the car blinks at you, and that car that would blink at you was outside of the church, he walked home to get spare keys so he could get the car home. And I chose to carry on with the service, leading people in worship and preaching. Sometimes... Nothing happens when you make those choices, but sometimes God honours those choices very quickly. And here is the bag. Before the service had ended, a lady had found this bag under her car in a car park in town. The police had arrived at our house and talked to Roger. The bag had come back and... They've not stolen anything from it, really, apart from a makeup bag. Now, who wants a second-hand makeup bag? I have no idea. But my purse was there. My credit cards were there, although they were useless because Roger had already cancelled them. I chose, I chose to thank God. I chose to serve God and worship God. And he honoured that really quickly. It's not always as quick as that. But he does honour our choices to serve him and to honour him with our lives. We do have a choice. When the washing machine breaks, we have a choice about how we react. Are we going to thank God? Are we going to be joyful? When the car won't start, we have a choice. Is Nikki Spiegel here today? Downstairs. Downstairs. Many of you heard Nikki's testimony a few weeks ago about how she faced death. And I'm sure all of you know that being in her presence is a really good thing to be because she has chosen to be thankful and to be joyful. And God has blessed her. And God tells us that the joy, his joy will bring us strength. In Nehemiah, it says, Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. As we choose to be cheerful, to worship God, to be joyful, no matter what, we will find strength in that. The second of the three instructions is never stop praying. Um, In Ephesians 6, Paul writes something similar, pray, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. When things go wrong, we think about praying. Some of the soldiers that I meet, uh, my role as a padre, say uh, when things go badly, when we're out on the battlefield, I sometimes pray, but I never think about God any of the rest of the time. Even as Christians, we want to pray more when we need something. But Paul says we're always to pray. It's an attitude that we're to have. We can't always actually be physically praying um, like this or on our knees or whatever, but it's an attitude of being dependent on God, asking for his help, whatever we do. We do need to have specific times with God. Um, Jesus, uh, his life story revealed that he spent whole nights 
with God, praying. We need quality time with our Father. Jesus uh, spent that time with our Father. We never find he had to call a prayer meeting before healing somebody. He was always ready for action. The prayer that he depended on, the communication with his Father, equipped him to do God's will. If you've ever grown tired of praying for something or someone, don't stop. Jesus told a story about a widow and an unjust judge. And uh, the the gist of it is that uh, the judge didn't really care about the widow and she kept coming and saying, give me justice, give me justice. And in the end, although he didn't care about her and her justice, because she kept on, he did give her justice. And Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father, who loves you, hear and answer your prayers? It's worth praying. And the third thing is about being thankful in all circumstances. Now, Paul didn't say we should thank God for everything that happens to us, but in all the circumstances. Sometimes something really bad happens. There is evil in this world as well as good. And we don't have to thank God for the bad things that happen. But Paul tells us in Romans 8, we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. So we know that whatever bad happens, whatever evil comes our way, God will use that to bring forth good. In Philippians, it says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. It says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. Be full of joy. Don't worry. Pray about everything. And thank him for all he's done. Don't worry. Don't worry. I remember a whole sermon about that not that long ago. There was an experiment conducted um, about being thankful. Uh, Someone called Robert Emmons, PhD, who was a professor of psychology at the University of California, Davis, and a psychology professor from Michael McCulloch from the University of Miami. They have researched the role that gratitude plays in our physical and emotional well-being. And they took three groups of volunteers and randomly assigned them to focus on three things each week. One group were assigned to focus on hassles, the things that went wrong, the things that annoyed them. The second group on things for which they were grateful. And the third group on just ordinary, everyday things. So um, the second group was looking at situations they felt enhanced their lives, like my boyfriend's so kind and caring, I'm lucky to have him. The third group with the everyday events, um, I went shoe shopping or I did the washing or that sort of thing, while the first group were just looking at the things that made them miserable. And the results were that the people who focused on being grateful, on the gratitude for the good things, were happier. They saw their lives in favourable terms. They were glass, half-full people. And they reported fewer negative physical symptoms. 
fewer headaches, fewer colds. They were grateful and they enjoyed a higher quality of life. Uh, Emma's, Emma's website says, Gratitude heals, energizes and transforms lives. And he talks about science at last getting where religion has been for many years. For those who know and love Christ, there's much to be thankful for. We've sung about it earlier today. He died for us. He brings us peace and freedom. There are so many things that God gives us. The Holy Spirit. And it's important that we always rejoice. That we choose this thankful attitude. You probably all know people that you just don't want to be with. People who are always negative and moaning. Their lives are no better and no worse than most of the rest of us. It's their attitude that's different. They're always negative and uh, like the Dementors in Harry Potter, they suck the happiness out of everything. And when things are going badly, they can make you feel suicidal. I've recently been helping Jan Mail to sort out the library books and I came across this book. This is a very old copy. You can see it's very old. I had one when it was new um, and read it many years ago. This says it was first published in 1970, so I could read then. Um, When I first found it, I didn't think much of it, except I read that and it made an impact on my life. But when I was thinking about preparing for this sermon, I thought, I need to find that book again. And um, fortunately, I did. And really interestingly, there's a, a text on the front page and... The text is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. On, you can still get this book, I think, and you can read it on the web. And down at the bottom, the little yellow writing is the web address where you can get it. But the blurb about it says, Miracles, power and victory will all be part of what God does in our lives when we learn to rejoice in all things. This book is the result of Colonel Carruthers' remarkable career from a criminal youth to his status as a member of the U.S. Army Chaplain Corps. His concept of praising God in all life's incidents will move the reader to reevaluate life's priorities. I've got a little bit of time, so I just want to read you uh, some excerpts from the book. And if anyone wants to borrow it afterwards, um, that's fine. Come and ask for it. So uh, this is what Merlin Carruthers wrote at the beginning of the book. I read books about the deeper life of prayer and went to meetings to hear others preach about the power of God. But I didn't see much of that power in my own life and I desperately longed for it. I wanted to be used of God and everywhere I looked were people in need and I just didn't have what it took to meet their needs. And then he chronicles his journey with God Um, through being baptised in the Spirit and learning to minister in the power of the Spirit. And then there's just an example I want to read about praising God. And he actually takes it a step further than I've mentioned. He praises God for the problems. So this is his account. One morning, I got into my car to go to work. It wouldn't start. In the army, there's no excuse for being late to work. I said, "Okay, Lord... Here I am. You must want me to learn something, so I thank you that this car won't start. After a while, someone came along and helped me get it started. The next morning, the same thing happened. 
Thank you, Lord. I know you have some wonderful reason for having me sit here. So I'm going to be filled with joy and praise you. And again, I was able to get it started. Later that day, I took my car to the post garage. That's the army garage. I told the manager my problem, and he said, I'm sorry, chaplain, but the man who works on that kind of car has had a heart attack and is in the hospital. I hate to tell you this, but you'll have to take it to a civilian place. And he had a pained expression on his face as he said it. Chaplain, they know our mechanic is sick, and they'll rip you off. They've been doing that to everyone I've sent there. As I drove toward the civilian garage, a voice tried to whisper to me, isn't it terrible that those civilians would take advantage of us army people? I told that thought to go back to where it came from and continue thanking the Lord that he had worked out this whole incident for my personal benefit. I said, Lord, I know you are in this and I praise you for it. I pulled into the garage and the manager came over with a writing pad in his hand and a glint in his eye and said, can I help you, sir? I explained my problem to him, and he went through a list of things that might be wrong. We can't repair that part here, he said, so you'll have to send it to another shop. So we'll have to send it to another shop. But that may not be the problem, so we may have to do something else. It could be several different things, but we'll keep looking till we find the trouble. How long will it take? And with a smile, he said, I'm sorry, sir, I've no idea, it just depends. I could imagine the cash register pounding away. How much will it cost? I'm sorry, sir, I've no idea what it may cost. The army garage was right. They were ready to get everything out of me that they could. Thank you, Lord, you had a good reason for this. So I agreed to bring the car back the next morning and leave it there till they could find and fix whatever might be wrong. I then managed with much difficulty to get the car started. I put it in gear and began to move forward. And just then, the manager quickly stepped up and grasped my arm. Wait a minute. I've just thought of what may be your trouble. Turn off the engine. With that, he opened the hood and began to poke around with a screwdriver. In a few minutes, he said, now try it and see how it worked. I started it and the engine purred away like it was new. Wonderful. How much do I owe you? Not a thing, sir. Glad to do it. Then the Lord spoke to me. My son, what I wanted you to know was that your life is in the palm of my hand and you can trust me for all things. As you continue to thank me in all circumstances, you will see how perfectly I work out every detail of your life. Good saying that to us today. Whatever's going on in your life, your life is in the palm of his hand. He cares about you, and you can trust him to work out every detail. Paul trusted God, and he thanked God for his troubles. In 2 Corinthians 12, he talked about a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and from becoming, keep me from becoming proud. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul rejoiced because of those things that we read about earlier. Now, there's a 
big uh, theological debate going on about what the thorn in the flesh actually was, and no one really knows. Uh, Some people think it might have been his poor sight, because at some other point he writes, see what large letters I write to you with my own hand. But normally in the Bible, a thorn in the flesh is a person, an opponent, someone who opposes what you're doing. We don't know. But Paul was thanking God because God could then demonstrate his power in Paul's life. Years ago, when we couldn't pay the mortgage, I didn't thank God for that. But now when I look back at the time of our lives when we had virtually no money and God still provided for us, I thank God for that time because it taught me to, I can rely on God and he will provide all that we need. So always be joyful. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens because this is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. So my question to you today is, are you going to choose that way? It's within your power to make that choice. God equips you with the Holy Spirit and you can choose to rejoice. You can choose to pray. You can choose to thank God for everything. Should we pray? Father, help us. Help us to trust you. Not just when things are going well, but when things are going wrong. Help us to give you all of our lives. Help us to pray about everything at all times. Help us to thank you for everything. And help us to always rejoice. Send us your spirit so that we are able to do this, we pray. Amen.